0: Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. So we're interjecting with the awkward series, and to kick it off, nothing... Sounds better than to tell you a very awkward story, especially with my parents in the room. So I am sorry, Mom and Dad, and you all just need to know what level of courage this is going to take. No, they weren't in here for service. But today, you may not realize, has very significant meaning to me. Kristen told you it was my birthday, but that's not the significance. Today marks the 20th anniversary of the first time Pastor Chris kissed me. I know, I know. So I just need to give you a little bit of history on this momentous occasion. Because he had had more experience with the boyfriend-girlfriend thing than I had. He had a long history behind him. He was my first boyfriend. So we started going out. You remember how that works where you don't actually go out, but you say you're going out. Right before I turned 16, and because I hadn't had another boyfriend, it seemed like this wonderful idea that I could maybe have my first kiss on my 16th birthday. Like, doesn't that just seem like it should come out of a movie, right? And I had seen a lot of Disney movies. I had read a lot of books, and I had seen a lot of chick flicks. So, I knew in my mind how this should work. Like, the lights should fade, right? And, like, all other sounds go away. And you're just looking into each other's eyes with great admiration. And then there's this, like, magnetic force that draws you towards each other. And if you've watched Will Smith in the movie Hitch, how he says, like, one comes 90 and the other comes the extra 10. You know how this is supposed to work, right? So in my mind, I mean, you know, waiting 16 years, we're going to make this really good. No. So what ended up happening is my birthday, I had school. We had a family, a uh, uh, school-related function in the evening. One of my wonderful friends offered to give Chris and I each a ride home to our respective houses instead of um, riding home with our parents, which was very sweet of her. So we are flying down Highway 65 through Ham Lake in her very beat-up car, Chris and I sitting in the back seat, romantic already, right? And then it was like he was so patient for so long, and finally he had the go-ahead, and the time was ticking because it was only going to be my birthday so many more minutes, and we were just really close to his house. So, you know, we we got to sneak this in at this moment. And it was like the green flag waved and the beast was unleashed, And it wasn't that magnetic pull. It was more of like a wet, slobbery attack that unfortunately lasted long enough that the driver had to tip the rearview mirror up so she didn't have to be watching from the front. Awkward. And thankfully, he's not here, so I can tell this story, and that will teach him never to have me preach on my birthday. Again, right? So... (laughs) So I will say, though, he has redeemed himself, and he only does stuff like that now if he's really trying to get the kids all worked up, and they're all like, gross, and it's really entertaining. But um, part of one of the wonderful things about being married to him this long is we have silly things like that in the past, and he's seen me at my most awkward, he's seen me at my worst, and he still loves me. He watched me birth five children, which I can imagine was not a beautiful sight. He's been right there when I've got the stomach flu, which also not a beautiful sight or sound. And yet he still loves me. And that love means more because it's coming from somebody who's truly seen my ugliest than for just somebody else who's only seen the good presented on the outside. So I'd like you to bow your heads and pray with me this morning, and then we're going to dive into some scripture. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being such a good God, such a loving God, such a creative God, and Lord, I'm thankful that you sent me, Pastor Chris, because I do love that man. And Lord, I pray that this morning my words would be your words, that you would speak to the hearts of these wonderful people who are so hungry to know you more and know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I want to look at a couple of awkward stories in the Bible and kind of take a different perspective on them than maybe the quick glossing over that we sometimes do when reading. The first one comes out of John chapter 8. If you're going to turn there, I'll give you a second. And while you're doing that, I'll give you this wonderful quote from a four-year-old who said, Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Denzel Washington. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Awkward. It's just after dawn. She's caught in the act. What does that look like? How did that happen? I don't know. But she's drug out this woman who is a convicted criminal according to the religious laws, drug in front of all these religious leaders and priestly perfect people, and in front of Jesus, completely exposed, possibly physically exposed, we don't know, but completely exposed for her sin. A little bit embarrassing, a little bit humbling, would you say? And they're holding rocks ready to end their life. If we turn back a little bit to John chapter 4, verse 15. Let me give you a little bit of history on this section it says that jesus was traveling through to a town called samaria and he didn't have his cooler pulling behind him filled with water bottles for the journey so he was getting a little bit thirsty and he stopped at this well in land that they said was once his great 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 granddaddy jacob's and jacob had dug a well there and while he's sitting by this well, a woman comes with a bucket, because she's going to get water for her family, and he asks her for a drink. And the woman says, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, there's a lot of history behind the Jews versus the Samari- the women from Samaria or the people from Samaria, but we're not going to get into that. But it's still the kind of concept like, you are black, I am white. Not exactly the same, but You know, like, we're not going to associate with each other. Not going to happen. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus replies, which is a little bit weird if you really think about it. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I love Jesus, but I do not always understand everything that he said. Like, if I walked up to a well and there was a strange man sitting there and he asked me for a drink... And then he says, if you knew what gift was sitting here and asked, I would have given you living water, I would be thinking, okay, a little strange, right? But she doesn't respond that way. If we pick it up in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Which I think is really entertaining that he would have said that. Like, you are right. Of course I'm right. I know I have no husband. But he goes on. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Awkward. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. You're sitting here. This man's talking about living water and he just read your mail and you have never seen him before. And now, not only did he just read your mail, but he just flushed out that you are not living the life you're supposed to. I mean, we have people nowadays that get divorced. I don't, I know many people divorced and remarried. I don't know one that's been married to five men. Even now. And back in that time, five husbands already and now you're living with the one you're not married to. We go over to Luke. He's got a story I like, too, in chapter 7, verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, some say was a street prostitute in some of the translations, but a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, so let's think about what this really looks like. You decide to invite all the pastors in Saint Francis over to your house for dinner. Pastor Chris is coming, Lon Bjornru, the pastor from Trinity, the pastor from Saint Francis Baptist, some really spiritual leaders. You're all having dinner in walks a prostitute. Walks over to Pastor Chris's feet and starts kissing them. Awkward, right? Uh what do you do with this unexpected house guest? I mean really, like this is, this is what's happening here. Now I want you to notice there are three scenarios that all have a woman involved. And men, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Cause let's be real. The sin we're talking about in these three cases is all sexually related sin. Which means there was a man involved, though we don't get his name or his face in any of the stories. But what I want you to catch about these three women is that they were all very exposed. It was clear that they were sinners. Jesus read their mail. He looked at them, and he saw all the crap. He saw the worst. He saw the sin. But then what did he do? In the first story, it says Jesus is down writing on the sand when they bring the woman out. And they say she was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, whoever is without sin, you throw the first stone. You see, back then that was kind of a common form of execution, kind of like uh, we have the firing squad of today. So everybody participates, but nobody knows whose stone or whose bullet is the one that actually did the deed. So that they're all blameless, but still the execution happens. And one by one, they all realize that they are just as guilty. Maybe they didn't commit adultery, but they have some kind of sin that nobody else knows about even though they look good on the outside. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus looks up from the sand and he looks at the woman and he says, What? No one condemned you? She says, No one. And then he says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you read the rest of the story about the woman at the well in Samaria, ooh, sorry. She leaves the well and leaves Jesus sitting there, races off towards home, grabs her husband, or her not husband, and her whole family and brings them to meet Jesus. And Jesus speaks with them and their lives are changed. If we read the rest of the story where they're having dinner at the Pharisees' house, In verse 40, Jesus answers, Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little these three women all have this very this this sin that we would all call sin i think we would all agree if we put ourselves back in that bible time now the world has changed so we can gray things out and change our rules but if we put ourselves in the bible time I think we would all agree that that culture would have said that is sin, to be with another person's spouse or to be uh, a prostitute. That is obviously sin. But there are so many things that those Pharisees were sinning, ways they were sinning, that maybe aren't so obvious. Maybe it's the judging of others. Maybe it's the pride. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And God was saying, like, It's still sin. They may not appreciate my forgiveness as much as the one who knows that they know that they know that they're a sinner, but it still is sin. And he forgave that woman. Now I told you there's a, a man involved in each of these cases, possibly more than one in each of these cases, and we don't see or hear from them. And what I don't want you to do is get caught between that was the woman and that was the man. I want you to catch the difference between That sin was revealed and repented of, and this one was still hidden. Those women were all forgiven. I've got to believe that they changed their life. If Jesus looked me in the eye and saved me from people ready to stone me, I've got to believe I'm going to turn from my ways. But the men, we don't really know what happened. There was obviously a guy there if she was caught in the act of adultery and we don't know where he was. Did he ever fall on his knees before the Lord and repent? Or did he think Ooh, I'm safe, I can still hide, I can still sin, no one will know. I don't know. And I don't know if they're in heaven clearly forgiven or not. I can't judge that. But I do know that the women who were exposed and made vulnerable and they were forgiven. And I would rather be that. I think it's interesting that God talks about these women so much. It seems like prostitution must have been a clear example for people in that time. He has Rahab, who's a known prostitute, in his lineage. And if we go back to the Old Testament, there's an entire book that centers around it. It's the book of Hosea. I'm pretty sure most of you didn't read it last night, so let me fill you in a little bit. Hosea is one of the books of prophecy. Back in the Old Testament, before Jesus walked the earth, they couldn't just talk to God like you and I can talk to God. We get that privilege because Jesus died on the cross, forgave our sins, and sent us the Holy Spirit that acts as that go-between so we can communicate in our imperfection with a very perfect God. But they didn't have that. So back in those days, they either had a priest who would make their requests known to God, or they had a prophet that would speak from God down to the people. And the prophets had different kinds of messages. Some would warn of pending doom, like Jonah, who was sent to a people group to say, you guys are messed up and you need to work this out or God is going to wipe you from the planet. Some had positive messages, like good things are coming and salvation will arrive. Others had these really weird lives that I don't fully understand, where God called them to act out and to do something. And whatever they did physically that people saw, that was like a parable of the message kind of a deal. And Hosea fit into that category, kind of the weird ones like, John the Baptist living in the desert, eating locusts. He's more like in that kind of a category, in my mind, at least. But in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, here's what happens. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. You gotta think he's wondering, did I hear you right, Lord? I mean, what God tells the holy guy to go marry the promiscuous woman and have children with her, but he did. goes on to say, For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So she married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now you need to know something else. The Israelites were God's chosen people way, way back with Abraham. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. It it goes because he was that really special-to-God guy who had lots and lots of generations following him that were always God's special people. They were called the Israelites, and they had some good years. Like they had King David, who had a heart after God, followed by his son Solomon, who maybe didn't make as many good choices but still tried to lead the people wisely. But Solomon made the mistake of having lots of wives, never really a good idea. And these lots of wives had lots of children, and they kind of all had this battle for the throne. Like, I want to be king, so I am going to kill you, so you can't be king. And then this wife over here gets her children turned against those. So there's like this all-out battle for who gets to be the next king. And it follows for generation after generation where these half-siblings are killing each other. And this is when Hosea enters the scene. This wonderful group of people that God loves has split into two kingdoms and they're not doing so hot for God. They've turned away from him. They've thought that foreign gods to worship, little statues made of gold or wood or whatever, sounds like a much better idea than the creator of the universe. And he's hurt. I'd be hurt. I don't know how he's feeling, but I would be hurt. So he sends Hosea to give them this message. And Hosea has a child with Gomer and God tells him to name him something specific because it's communicating something to the people in that name. And then he has another son and another daughter, and each time they're given very weird, very specific names that's kind of like laying out God's plan. And then some time passes, and you would think that Gomer would be happy. Like we feel bad for a lot of people who are in a life of prostitution who didn't intend to get in that life. Yay, a hero saved them out and loved them and gave them children and a home and stability. And isn't that wonderful? And somehow there was something about that old life that drew Gomer that she went back to it. And we don't really know exactly what happened, but in chapter 3, we can get some clues. The Lord says, said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. I don't know how to make a sacred raisin cake, but they must be yummy. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And then it goes on. Why was he buying her? She was his wife. I tend to think that something about following that sinful path again led her into a state of slavery, into some kind of bondage that she couldn't get out of on her own. And how do you feel as Gomer, the man who took care of you, who provided for you, who actually probably was the first one to truly love you, standing there when you're on the auction block and buying you back? What would that do to your heart? What did that do to her heart? And what should that do to my heart? Because we're just like Gomer. We see something and we think, that looks better. And we make this sinful choice because it looks better at the moment. I mean, really, it's easier to think that thought or to go there. It makes you happy for a second. And then we find ourselves in this place of bondage that we can't get back out of. And then this heroic God comes back into the scene and buys us back even though we should have been his already. What beautiful, beautiful love. There's a verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 that says this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Some versions say God proves His great love for us. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. There are two things that I really want you to take home today. The first is that I want you to acknowledge that God sees. He knows. Nobody had to tell Him about any of those women or their stories. He knew. Their sin was something that was done behind a closed door where nobody should have seen. But he knew. He saw. I know there are people whose sin happens behind a closed door and they think no one is watching, no one will know. He knows. Most of my sin doesn't happen in an outward way. A lot of my sin happens in my heart or in my mind where nobody else should know. They don't know I'm thinking that. But He knows. What would it be like if he were standing behind that closed door in that room next to you? What would it be like if he were reading your thought and the sin that you thought was fine because nobody's going to find me out, nobody's going to know, isn't so secret. He knows and He sees. But the beautiful part is that that should not lead me to feel guilty and weighted down. That should lead me to feel more blessed. Because the second thing you need to remember is he loves deeply. It's in that ugly, exposed, sinful state that he still sent Jesus. It's in that state that he looks on you and just loves you and longs for you to come home with him and leave those other ways. You know, sometimes we think that things won't be found out. But the truth always has a way of finding its way out. Uh, We told my daughter yesterday a great story from our past. I was pregnant in a trailer house in a land far away. And I had a hankering for large dill pickles. You know, the big ones you get at the State Fair. I was pregnant. It happens. So we had the big mega jar from Sam's Club or Costco or whatever in the fridge. And one morning, I opened the fridge to get breakfast, closed the fridge, was doing whatever. And I turned to Chris and I said, did you have a pickle last night? Because these are my pickles. He doesn't really eat them anyway. And he was floored. He's like looking for where the hidden cameras are and how I'm monitoring my pickle stash because it is a huge jar and one was missing and I knew. And he is still bothered by this. This morning actually, we talked about his midnight snack last night while I was asleep. Should have been a secret. But the empty lunch meat package in the top of the garbage can and the plate by his bedside with mayonnaise smeared on it was a good clue to me that a sandwich was had. So I can play detective and I can figure out his secrets that he thinks are unknown. God doesn't even have to do that. He already knows. Worship team, you can come up and get ready behind me. They're going to play a song and we're going to stand and we're going to praise an amazing God in just a moment. And I want you to praise Him with your whole heart. But if you have junk in your life where you need to just take a moment and acknowledge, Lord, you're seeing my junk anyway, I'm sorry for it. Or if you need to just pause and really appreciate how deeply He loves you in the middle of your junk and ugliest, then do that. And if you can't do that in this crowded room, later on today when you're out for a walk or enjoying the sun, take a moment, talk to Jesus about the things that he already sees, and thank him for the love that he wants to dump on you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please come find any one of these spaces that represents the Bridge Church. We would love to tell you how awesome he is. Stand with me.